This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Transportation Security Administration is one of the most diverse agencies in the federal government. Its senior management, though, is a different story. TSA is looking to tackle those issues as lawmakers express frustration with the agency's lack of diversity at the highest levels. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday has been covering the issue, and he joins us now to talk more about it. Hi, Justin. Hey, Jared. So what does TSA actually look like at those senior management levels, and and what's it doing already to try to become more diverse? So while about 55% of TSA's employees are people of color, 53 out of the 66 federal security directors are white, and 54 are men. Those are numbers from... Uh, House Homeland Security uh, Subcommittee Chairwoman Bonnie Watson Coleman, Democrat from New Jersey, and, and at, during a hearing last week, she expressed some frustration with the lack of diversity in TSA's senior ranks. So what TSA is doing is hiring a chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. And TSA Administrator David Bukowski says that individual will be a member of the Senior Executive Service and report directly to him, and they will join the agency uh, within this month. And this official will be charged with acting on recommendations from an inclusion action committee that the agency established a couple years ago. And the establishment of this new officer was one of the main recommendations from that committee. And, you know, during the hearing, Pekoski acknowledged that TSA's senior management should really be more diverse, and he committed to staying on top of the issue going forward. The other part of this that is very important is to see from the top that there is not just a a momentary look at these issues, that there is a persistent look at how we're doing and a persistent check on our own metrics. How are we doing in bringing diversity into all levels of the agency? When you look at just the senior level, you really have to look down a couple you know, how, how, how much diversity do you have in the middle management that will become your senior leaders uh, in a few years? And so I think it needs to be a very holistic approach across the agency. And again, that's TSA Administrator David Pekoski testifying at a House Homeland Security Committee hearing last week. And Justin, did you get a sense that TSA yet has a good handle on whatever underlying issues there might be, root causes as to why there is this sort of heavily skewed white male tilt in the leadership? Yeah, well, the, the Inclusion Action Committee I, rec- I uh, talked about earlier put out a 2021 report that serves as kind of a good starting point, and as I mentioned, will be a starting point for this chief DEI officer that's coming in. One of the things that that report found is that the agency's existing diversity and inclusion program is, quote, severely understaffed and under-resourced, and that has led to critical issues in managing, measuring, supporting and sustaining diversity and inclusion initiatives at the agency. Um, so to Pekoski's point, they, they don't always have the best data even on the underlying issues here that has led to this disparity. And another thing the report recommended is looking at disciplinary and attendance policies as potential barriers to diverse leadership because there's inconsistencies across how different uh, facets of the organization apply disciplinary and attendance policies, and that can lead to missed opportunities for folks or, or a lack of opportunity for certain folks to to move up in the organization. It also uh, urges TSA to overhaul its promotion policies, including the adoption of a blind review process, along with the requirement to use a diverse interview panel. So 
that report had quite a few recommendations that, again, the chief DEI officer is expected to pick up and really spearhead from TSA headquarters. And does TSA have existing diversity training programs as, as part of that, albeit understaffed, uh, diversity and inclusion uh, initiative? So they do have some programs in place, but what the Inclusion Action Committee has recommended is diversity leadership training for supervisory positions up through the Transportation Security Executive Service. And that would help boost training for selecting officials who are involved in promotion decisions to help mitigate some potential biases that that they have, that we all have, and, and develop a, a tool and checklist to kind of guide selecting officials through the selection process, in addition to that, that blind review process that I mentioned earlier. And so this action committee has kind of laid out these initial recommendations, heavy, heavy focus on training and things like that. And Pekoski says that that report is not going to be the last word from this committee. They're expected to continue their work. That inclusion action committee is not just a one-shot committee. This is going to be a continuing committee uh, within the agency. We just solicited for a new slate of members to come in. So we'll change out the members on a rotating basis over the course of the years. But I pledge to you that this is an extremely high priority for TSA. And I think that our diversity at the entry level the agency ought to be reflected in the senior levels of the organization. And again, that's TSA Administrator David Bikoski testifying during a House Homeland Security Committee hearing last week on diversity efforts at the agency. And Justin, while we have you um, pivoting a little bit, but staying with TSA, I know you've also been watching the, the push to increase pay and benefits among frontline workers there. What's the latest? Yeah, this actually could also be argued as, a, as an equity issue. Lawmakers have some lawmakers have said that because you have a majority minority agency where where they are among the lowest paid uh, among all federal agencies. And, and during the hearing, Bukowski uh, reiterated that achieving pay equity for TSA employees is his top priority this year. The House has already passed the rights for the TSA Workforce Act. They did that in May. This legislation would bring TSA employees. Under Title V of U.S. Code, including bumping up their pay to the general schedule pay grade, but it faces an uncertain future in the Senate. Uh, there was it passed the House with virtually no Republican support. So again, they they would have to get that through the Senate with sixty votes somehow. Um, and lawmakers also have to separately approve the funding to grant TSA employees pay raises in starting in fiscal year twenty twenty three. So. Picasso says that TSA has delivered a legislative proposal that would help fund this pay increase for lawmakers' con- consideration. He, he also noted the imperative to ensure that TSA's workforce stays stable and actually grows as travel is projected to return to pre-pandemic levels, and pay is a big part of that issue. If these longstanding pay challenges are not fully addressed in fiscal year 23, I am concerned that it would lead to even higher rates of attrition and significantly undercut our recruitment efforts. We can't let this happen because this is a time when we need to grow. It is going to be a very busy summer. Furthermore, we expect that the year-over-year passenger growth rates in FY23 and beyond will return to pre-pandemic levels. And again, that's TSA Administrator David Pekoski talking about the effort to boost pay and benefits at the agency. All right, and we've been talking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thanks very much, Justin. All right. Thank you, Jared. And you can read more in his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. 
Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has you know, been at the highest levels and all. But I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League play- baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy. His name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her. I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, admit, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style? And, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, 
my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than than so much on the results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards, two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2 Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense. And I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, You know, from historical to current, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.